This is episode 22 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm Anna Holden, a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. I also teach intuitive development and mentor emerging healers through my Sacred Rebellion programs. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Hello everyone and welcome back to the show. You've just got me today, it's Anna, and I've got a few different things to talk about. The first thing that you might notice is that this episode is a week late. I usually get a show out every week and I didn't last week. (laughs) And the the reasons are going to become clear because it's one of the things that I'm going to talk about today. Today we've got a few different subjects. The first is kind of a, just a personal, you know, where I'm at, you know, what's it like in the life of Anna right now? I always find it really fascinating when my mentors take a minute not to just discuss the subjects that they like, but to discuss where they're at personally. How are they handling this human game? You know, particularly those who are um, in spiritual realms. So I'm going to talk a bit about where I'm at and why your podcast is a week late. The second thing I'm going to talk about is to clear up some terms. After, um, if you if you didn't already, I was interviewed on the Shift Your Spirits podcast by Slade Robertson, and that was a few weeks ago. And we talked all things highly sensitive people, empaths, and a question um, from someone was to, to clarify those terms. Are they the same? Are they different? Uh, And I realized that I could do a much better job clearing them up. On Slade's podcast, we kind of used all of those terms interchangeably, but there are some differences to them. So I am going to cover those. And then third, I'm really excited to announce my, what I'm calling my community fund. If you listen to the last episode with Kat Kim, we talked about how... Well, we talked about consumer spirituality. We talked about um, the the ways that um, some New Age spirituality actually leads us to be better consumers and actually consumes and exploits uh, our clients and, and creates separateness, creates more trauma, and um, only allows this work to be accessible to those who are the most privileged. So the community fund is one way, my, I call it my small drop in the bucket, to try to create change around this. So I'll be talking about that, as well as a couple of new um, services that I have on my end. All right, so let's dive in. First, where I'm at personally, it is 
Tuesday, May 22nd, as I am recording this podcast. It should come out next Monday on Memorial Day. And I am in the middle of trying to renegotiate the way that I operate, particularly in terms of scheduling, productivity, and the ways that I manage stress. So if you've been following me for a little while, I think it was about a month ago, I sent a newsletter and said, hey, I've just been kind of quietly over here in the corner approaching burnout. And I I mean, I said that in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, but what I have come to realize is that ever since I gave birth, which was almost 19 months ago now, my body has become much less able to manage stress in the way that it used to. Now, I'm not saying that that my reduced ability or capacity to manage stress is the fault of giving birth, but I think that for me, um, giving birth and really the trauma around giving birth, like, you know, whether or not your birth story or your birth experience, whether or not that felt traumatic to you, um, there is a certain amount of trauma that happens to the body. And I'm a little bit older, you know, so I had my my first child right on the cusp of my 35th birthday. Um, Not that I'm old for all of you older mothers out there, I'm not saying you're old, but for me, I think that there uh, there were a few factors that were, were a little bit on the fence anyway. So for example, I had some thyroid issues that weren't really diagnosable. There wasn't much to do with them. I had a reduced capacity to, um, uh, to, to work, meaning that I've never been able to handle working a 40-hour work week without some some major annoying illness cropping up. And so I had, you know, renegotiated my schedule so that my business was happily chugging along at four days a week. Um, and when I had my son, um, several things happened to my body. <laughs> um, one is that the just like the the trauma around the actual birth uh, made my blood pressure spike. I had to be basically not quite bed rest, but we'll call it living room rest for a few weeks after birth, which is really frustrating because I couldn't go outside. Um, I fell into a pretty severe postpartum anxiety and depression, so my hormones were all off. My thyroid took the deep dive into hypothyroidism. And unbeknownst to me at the time, my body's ability to manage stress and its stress hormones was considerably reduced at the same time that this humongous new stressor was added to my life. I mean, don't get me wrong. I adore my son and I think that everything he does is like magic. And he's a big stress um, in my life as well. So fast forward 19 months later, Um, I started working again full time at about, um, I think six months, five or six months postpartum, um, which it was a, a, a large amount of time for me to be 
out of work. And I took that much time mostly because of the postpartum anxiety and depression that took quite a bit out of me. And I didn't really feel like I was in a place to be offering, you know, spiritual reading and advice. Um, And I wanted to make sure that I was back on my game when I came back. And then when I was, when I was like, oh, I am back, I really came back. I came back at full force and I started working full time because I was so excited to be back. And and this is the thing that I am, am learning to realize about myself is that I get myself into stressful situations, not because there's a lot of negativity happening in my life, but because I get so excited about everything. <laughs> Um, and something that's happened to me as a business person, as, as I've become a little bit more well-known, is that people contact me and they want to have conversations and they want to create something with me. And it's been really difficult to say no when I'm getting like a full body yes on all of these things. So I have bit off more than I can chew, basically. Um, but I have only bitten off what I have for the rest of my life and in my previous years been able to chew well at once. I've always been type kind of type A. I've been, um, a bit of an, one of those annoying high achievers. I I remember this girlfriend of mine said once, she was like, gosh, you can get done in a day what I could, you know, get done in a week, which at the time, you know, she was saying it as a compliment. Um, And now I'm realizing, well, that's exactly why I'm in this predicament. (laughs) Um, And so what's happened to me lately is that um, I've been fatigued. I've had a lot more pain. And I've had this inability to um, get my body to unwind at night. So I will be like exhausted, tired. My mind will be able to shut off, but my body will be like, um, like almost restless leg in the whole body. And so I've been to see my doctor. I've seen my spiritual teacher. I've talked about this where I need to, my spiritual teacher's like, you need to back off. And my doctor is like, your body is not synthesizing. It's not managing cortisol well. You're in burnout. You know, you're in burnout. And luckily enough, one of my best friends is doing a lot of research on burnout right now, and she's kind of sent me some information about the way that your brain actually changes when you have burnout and how the the effect in the body is actually similar to PTSD. So anyway, really fascinating. So this place that I'm at in my life is that I am... Um, reducing my load. I'm taking things off of my plate and I am clearing out space where I can relax and be. The thing that, that, that I, no one really told me, or I don't know, maybe I didn't listen. Sometimes I don't listen. <laughs> but you know, the, the thing that I didn't really get before having my son was that you don't get weekends anymore. Like, you know, maybe you do later on, you know, when when kids are older. But in these early years, you don't get mornings, you don't get evenings, you don't get weekends. So all of that extra time that I had had to 
you know, down tick my nervous system to regulate my hormones, you know, get done with the day of work, sit down under a tree, you know, glass of water, kombucha, whiskey, pick your poison, and, you know, just kind of uh, release the day. That doesn't happen for me anymore. You know, I, I get a kid who comes home from school and just wants mama, mama, mama all the time, and it's like wonderful and exciting, and it takes a lot. And then same with weekends. I'm up at 5.50, you know, on weekend mornings. And, um, you know, my child right now just has a high demand for me, has a high demand for mama, um, and is really, really attached to me. So I'm having to adjust my work schedule, how I operate, and what I say yes to. And the thing about... The great thing is that I'm getting really clear on what I want to say yes to. I want to do readings, because I love doing readings. I want to teach, um, because I love the School for Sacred Rebellion, and I love the Refuge for Sacred Rebellion. And I want to do this podcast. And that is really all that I have capacity for right now. And I've come to this really wonderful place where I'm like, yeah, that's enough. Like, I don't have to be doing other things. And if I do want to do things, I can learn to plan them accordingly. So what's so great about working with my co-creator of the Refuge for Sacred Rebellion, Heidi Frank Palmer, is that she has strengths in um, planning your life and actually taking charge of your calendar and getting really clear on how much time you need for everything in order to reach your goals. And so I'm going to be doing some work with her Now that I'm getting clear about what's important to me, she's going to really help me learn to map that out in a way that provides a structure that gives me freedom. Because I've been flying by the seat of my pants for a little bit too long. Like, I can do that for a while. Like, I'm I'm actually pretty good at that. Um, But my body is not handling it anymore. And I think this is something, you know, I don't think I'm alone in this, you know, all you highly sensitive people out there, like I really doubt that I'm the first one of you to reach out and touch burnout or to, you know, find yourself in that place. And so I'm really excited because a woman reached out to me who actually wants to talk about, um, you know, uh, creating within your limits. Um, if you have, you know, things going on in your body or if you're living with disabilities. And so just, just, uh, put a pin in that because that's an episode that's going to be coming up. Oh, I don't know exactly when in the next few weeks. I'm really excited about that. So that's kind of the first thing that I'm dealing with. And what's been really interesting about that is that I've been, you know, clearing my plate. I've been having to, um, take things off of the table that I had said an emphatic yes to, and I've had to shut those down and disappoint people. I really do not like disappointing people. You know, it's, it's hard. And if I don't disappoint some people by, um, by making some extra space for me, then I'm just not going to be around to do this. (laughs) So that's, that's the trade-off. And then what's also interesting are the people who, you know, maybe they have some disappointment Um, but have been really, really generous and understanding and kind. Um, And so that's always interesting to me because I think I always have this fear that disappointing people, you know, I'm just going to get 
lots and lots of hate mail or something. So if you've been waiting on an email for me, from me, um, if you've been waiting on me to get back to you, uh, I am I am working through everything at the at a rate that um, that I can handle. And so if it's not as quickly as you used to receive things back from me, I apologize for that. And I'm working on kind of trying to create a new normal. One of the ways that I've been trying to increase my resiliency and capacity is by um, actually taking off my spiritual teacher intuitive hat a few times a week. It occurred to me recently that I never take that hat off. Like I, or the mother had, like I'm, I'm, it's like I, I'm mom all the time. I'm teacher all the time. I'm intuitive all the time. And so something that I've been playing with is uh, those days that I take off a week, I, I just totally remove those hats. I don't check my email. I don't check in with my business. I mean, of course I have to mother my child, you know, there's not really getting around that. Um, and I've been taking care of my body um, with various appointments, and then I've been out riding my bike. I was a big mountain biker about 10 years ago, um, in my early 20s, and my mid-20s, actually, um, to the point where I was racing, I did some triathlon, I dabbled in adventure racing, um, which was really, really fun for me. And then an injury, a back injury, kind of just took all that away from me. I wasn't able to do any of that. And it's just been this year that my family and I, we moved outside of Seattle. We're really close to some great, like really world-class mountain biking that I said, Hey, I, I think I'm healthy enough to do this. You know, my body is healthy enough. My back is healthy enough. I'd like to bike. And so I have been out mountain biking and this kind of makes me giggle a little bit. And maybe it's, maybe it's not funny, funny to you guys, but, um, you know, when you see me online, uh, you know, I've got my, my branding imagery. And then when you um, hang out with me in a session, either in person or on video, you know, I, I basically wear like glorified, you know, yoga clothing, like stuff that's like just really stretchy and flowy. And, you know, I think there's, um, you know, there's a certain professional, um, professional, professionalism that I, that I try to bring, right? Um staying as comfortable as possible and then I I go mountain biking and my and my co-creator Heidi said this to me I went to get a massage from her and she and I walked in and she did this double take and she was like loungewear because on the days that I am you know stepping out of my professional hat and I go biking when I go biking I wear flat freerider shoes knee pads baggy like baggy long shorts that co that go over the knee pads a little bit with a you know a chammy like a like a tight bike short sh bike short underneath you know a t-shirt I've got elbow pads these days um, you know helmet <clears throat> camelback the whole nine yards and I actually go you know I go biking we've got this great mountain bike park here where you can practice free riding jumps and you can um, practice turning and going down big rock gardens and I actually really love that stuff <laughs> I think sometimes we form I know that I form kind of these um, stereotypes around the way that highly sensitive people are in their bodies or the way that they are when they're you know not um, 
giving readings that maybe then I, you know, when I'm not giving readings, I sit around and meditate and no, I actually go ride my mountain bike down like really scary rock gardens, you know, to see where my limits are at. And the other day I actually fell on my face and my chin has been bruised and <laughs> people have been asking me what I did. I just, it's, everything's okay. I just fell on my face. I went over my handlebars. Um, and that's just been really, really fun. And I have this really great friend who I get to mountain bike with. And um, I love it because he has one foot kind of in the woo world. Um, so we can talk about that stuff. And then we just geek out on mountain biking. And it's, it is so much fun for me because I'm not a teacher. I'm just geeking out on something that's very human and technical. And I get to be in the beautiful woods of the Pacific Northwest. So really can't go wrong. So that is one of the things that is really feeding me recently. <clears throat> you know, and it's kind of interesting because something that my friend, my biking friend said to me, the other day actually kind of circled back. It, it sounded like a message for me in the, in, in the conversation I've been having with myself around burnout, where he was, he's been impressed with my writing because he can take me down kind of, I guess, scary things or advanced things. And, and I can hang, you know, like I can ride down scary things. And I don't have the instinct, I guess, you know, a lot of times when we hit something scary in our life, we kind of slam on the brakes and freak out. And you can think of that literally on a bike, or you can think of that metaphorically, right? We just like slam on the brakes. We kind of freak out because we don't know what to do. I don't tend to do that on my bike. So, and what, what my friend Dave calls this is he calls this the instinct to charge. He goes, this is something that, you know, really fast pro riders have is that they when, when things get scary, they have this instinct to charge forward rather than slam on the brakes. And he was saying, well, you have that. And I thought about it, you know, just in terms of biking. I was like, I do have that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just have it kind of wired into my nervous system that, well, it, things are, are probably going to go better if I keep some momentum and just kind of charge through this section. You know, and when I think about it like that in return, in regards to the nervous system, you know, when something is scary and we can have like the fight, flight, or freeze response, maybe it's just that my response is to flee, you know, is to just run, is to go. I don't think that was always my response when it came to sports, I suppose, when it came to biking. Um, but what I found is that I would get into a lot of trouble if when I went down something that was a little bit technical, if I slammed on my brakes, I was almost sure to fall. It was a really surefire way to get hurt. <laughs> um, but, and, and so I, then I think instead I learned that like, well, maybe if I just go a little faster, things won't be quite as dangerous. And, and I remember this ski coach, I was also a ski racer. Apparently I like speed um, in all aspects of life, but I was a downhill ski racer in my teen, teen years. Not a great one, but I, but I did it. And, and I remember my, my ski coach taking us to the top of this run. I was probably 12 years old or something. Um, and it was a long run. It wasn't super steep, but it was fairly long. And he said, you get three turns you can have three turns. That's all you get. And he goes, if you get going 
so fast that you get scared. Instead of putting on your brakes, go a little faster. So that the next time you get to that speed, you won't be scared anymore. Now, of course, kind of the background conversation to that was you have to have good technique to make that work, right? If you can rely on your technique, then it's okay to go a little bit faster. And so I was doing, I noticed that, you know, Dave noticed I was doing this on my bike. and I was like, yeah, I'm doing that on my bike. And then I realized, holy shit, I'm doing that in my life. Where, you know, I've, I spent a lot of my younger years building up certifications, building up my ability to create spontaneously and to rely on my ability to create and problem solve and and tap into my intuition so that I could just charge. Now, you know, continuing this metaphor, the problem is that if you keep charging and you keep going faster, right, it, it, at some point that's, that's, that's not going to work or you're going to get to the end, right, the end of the run, the end of the race, um, whatever. And either you've won or you've burnt out. <laughs> Um, and so I just kind of see where I've, um, I've had, I've been able, I've done this in business, but to the point where it wasn't safe for my body anymore. Right. Anyway, I just kind of thought that was a cool hello that when this biking friend of mine said that I was like, you just gave me the metaphor for my life. So, you know, sometimes those I think are little intuitive moments, the universe speaking through people for us. All right, that was pretty long-winded. Let me jump into terms. Let's clarify a few terms, shall we? If you have not listened to the interview with Slade, I highly recommend it. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And if you are listening here because of Slade, thank you for joining. I've received so many nice emails and letters and received a few clients and members to the refuge from Slade's podcast. I am super, so grateful for that. And and just really stoked that what I said resonated with you. So I'm really glad that you are here. And we went through a lot of terms um, in Slade's podcast that we use kind of interchangeably. So I want to clear up some of these terms and how they you know relate or don't relate together. The first term is high, is HSP, highly sensitive person. This is a scientific term. Okay? High sensitivity is a neutral genetic trait that means that your nervous system processes uh, more information on deeper levels within your body. Right? So this is characterized by the the does um, acronym, so you have a, a greater depth of processing. Um, overwhelm is likely you have emotional sensitivity and um, sensory sensitivity, right? So um, usually we have at least a couple of those, and some, and oftentimes we have one more strongly than others. So that's a scientific term. That you know, high sensitivity is a genetic trait. You're you're born with it, or you're not. Now sensitivity itself is a spectrum. So um, all of us can develop our sensitivity, our ability to respond to the environment, to respond to who's in front of us, to respond to emotions. So even if you're not born with the genetic trait of high sensitivity, you can increase your levels of sensitivity to 
be able to more greatly connect with the world around you, connect and respond. We also use the term empath. And Slade, um, you know, we were both using these terms interchangeably, but they're actually different. Now, there was a time, and I think I actually said this in a talk once, that I thought they were the same. I am retracting that. Um, I do not think they are the same. Okay? Empaths are those people who have a heightened emotional sensitivity and have the ability to feel other people's emotions. Now, just because we're feeling other people's emotions doesn't mean we're going to feel them the same way in our body. So let's say somebody else is really, really excited. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to feel that emotion as excitement in our body. In fact, whenever there's something in our body that's not ours, it often doesn't feel good. Highly sensitive people can be empaths and empaths can be highly sensitive people, um, but they don't have to be. You can be an empath and not be highly sensitive. You can be a highly sensitive person and not have as much um, uh, emotional sensitivity. Most of the people that I work with, however, are both. And I think that's just the way that I call people in. I'm highly sensitive and I'm an empath. And so I think that a lot of highly sensitive empaths are drawn um, to me. And so I tend to see, t tend to see that overlap um, in probably about, oh, I don't know, 95% of my clients, something like that, quite a bit of them. And then there is this term intuitive. Now, highly sensitive person, empath, and intuitive are not necessarily the same thing. I look at high sensitivity as a way of kind of, I've talked about this before, priming the channels, the, um, uh, the intuitive channels to be open should you want to develop that intuition. So I kind of look at intuition as being able to utilize, access, and interpret the information coming through those um, intuitive channels that are more naturally open, the more highly sensitive we are. Hope that makes sense. Um, people who are empathic, I really think that empathy is a form of intuition. Like I said in a, previous, in a previous podcast, I don't think these gifts like intuition are supernatural. I think that empathy and then having that you know, curiosity to learn how to understand empathy, to understand the information that you're getting as an, as an intuitive, um, you know, that is intuition. That, that, that is how intuition can be used one of the ways intuition can be used um, on kind of a clairsentient level. And then another question um, that has come up, and this isn't necessarily a clarification of terms, but it's something that um, I get asked a lot. Um, when people come to me for the first time, people often assume that I'm going to speak to their spirit guides in order to get information about them. And so I think that there's this underlying assumption that in order to be intuitive, you have to be able to speak with spirits. Again, I don't think that intuition is anything that is supernatural. 
you know, and I think that I could even create a whole argument for why speaking to spirit guides is not supernatural either. But let's stick with the basics, shall we? Um, I don't think that you, well, first of all, you do not have to speak to guides to be intuitive. You do not have to communicate with um, spirits outside of bodies in order to be intuitive. Our intuitive channels have nothing to do with the spirits that are around us and everything to do with how our body, our nervous system, and our spirit are wired and how we choose or choose not to develop, uh, understand, and learn from that information. All right, so an intuitive is somebody who has chosen to learn from uh, understand and interpret the information that comes from their open channels, right? Their open channels of, of information, their open uh, sensitivity channels. So then with this definition, we can extrapolate that intuitives work lots of different ways. And we've talked about this where you know, there's all the different clairs. There's all the different ways that we can receive and then learn to interpret intuitive inf information um, through different um, kind of portals or sensitive channels within our body. Claircognizance, clairvoyance, clairsentience, clairaudience, all of those, all of those places. A term that, um, that Slade and I didn't talk about really is the, the term medium. Um, and a medium is a kind of intuitive who does work directly with spirits. And that's really what the term medium refers to. It's a, an intuitive who is directly working with the spiritual world. So you can be intuitive without speaking to spirits, but you can't be a medium, really, without working with or speaking with spirits. Um, sometimes mediumship is, is when the the person the intuitive actually kind of opens up their channels to allow um, that spiritual information to be to work inside of them um, and that's something that that some intuitives do I've done that sometimes on a healing basis for myself I don't generally do that when I'm giving information to other people and then um, other mediums will simply stay in their body and then be able to communicate with uh, with those spirits um, I do talk to spirit guides, um, but it's not necessarily the main place where I get information. If people are interested in their spirit guides, then we'll definitely check them out. And I'm often giving readings where a spirit guide or maybe a past relative or something will just step in. They will come into the reading um, with some information. And so when that happens, you know, I create space for that information and I let the person that I'm working with know that there's some information that's coming from a certain guide um, or person. So those are some of the terms that I think uh, would have been helpful to clear up. If you're listening and have any other terms that you're interested in that you're not really sure where they fit in, please just send me an email or uh, create a comment under this in this podcast um, and I would love to clear that up or at least give you my perspective on that I'd be happy to do that and then based on these terms 
I want to clarify something, and this is kind of a what I consider is a common misconception um, about the way that psychics, intuitives, and mediums work, at least the way that I work. All right, and I think that this is portrayed in, in movies oftentimes where spiritual work of this nature requires a lot of energy of the person, the human person doing the work. And if I am worn out from giving readings or teaching at the end of the day, I know that I've done it incorrectly. Right? So, so stay with me here. If I am truly doing this work correctly, I am really creating a vessel for spirit to do work right? I am clearing my channels, setting up a kind of a, a, a clean structure so that spirit with me can work with spirit of someone else. And if I'm doing this work correctly, I'm staying in my body separate from the person that I am working with I am not taking on their energy. They are not taking on my energy. That shit is exhausting. That's actually when people come to me and they say, oh my gosh, like I just seem to have no boundaries. I can't do this work that I love in the world. You know, if it's not psychic stuff, it's working with kids. It's working with people. It's caregiving. It's, you know, being a barista. Like I cannot make coffee for all these people who want to talk to me without getting emotionally exhausted. It's like, yeah, because it's so um, difficult when we first, you know, start to, well, when we're sensitive in this world and we don't understand energetic boundaries. So my work is actually incredibly fulfilling, uplifting, and energizing when I'm doing it correctly. And so I was kind of re-listening to the beginning of the podcast, uh, this episode actually, to make sure that I was kind of still in flow with what the information I wanted to give you. And something that occurred to me was there might be a question around, well, gosh, Anna, like if you're burned out, are you, how are you still able to give readings? Or like, should I be trusting you with a reading? <laughs> right? And absolutely, that's always up to you. But what I find is that the readings and the teaching that I'm doing energizes me. In fact, it is the thing that allows me to get clearer and clearer about what's true for me. Because the other truth about doing intuitive readings and healings is that every time I give a healing, I get a healing. When I give readings on people, um, there will be this way that information will will kind of take on this um, look that I know there's an answer for me in that as well. And so I, I do this thing where I kind of save that for me to finish, you know, once we've closed the reading with that other person, we close that up. And then I get to have more clarity on something that, um, that I was working on. You know, have you ever had the experience where you're talking to a friend or you're giving some advice and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's really good advice for me. (laughs) That can happen with readings where you're giving information you're working with that person's spirit. And just all of a sudden there's a nugget in there for you. So working with people is actually one of the ways that I've, can't come into a lot of this clarity. And um, 
you know, creating more space around how I work with people, making sure I have like the right prep, the right amount of preparatory time, the right amount of time afterwards to create separations, um, which I've always had a, a good practice of doing means that I feel great. I feel so much better. So I just, you know, this work feeds me. This is why I do this work. And I'm really grateful to have the tools um, and that extra bit of knowledge to know that like, if I get to the end of the day, and I'm really exhausted, like I really need to get clear about how I'm running my own tools, my energy management tools within readings. And, and it's just a really good hello for me. I'm always getting kind of instant feedback about where I'm at and how I'm operating. All right, so the last thing I wanted to talk to you about today was something that I've created. If you listened to the last episode, episode 21 with Kat Kim, you know that we talked a bit about consumer spirituality and the ways in which not just not just spiritual practices, but a lot of personal development, you know, a lot of businesses in the per- personal development industry um are really perpetuating, you know, corporate capitalism and and basically perpetuating systems of oppression that we're most of us are actively trying to dismantle. So you know, we do this work of trying to dismantle um, these systems and to bring awareness into you know any oppression that's happening within the personal sphere. And yet, then we have these business practices that are against that, right? So there, there's there's this thing happening right now. So Kat and I in that episode talked about the ways um, that we're just starting to, you know, experiment, honestly, with how to create new ways of doing business. And I had mentioned that I have lowered my prices, which is true. Prices are lowered. It's all live on the site. Um, and that I was was working on starting some sort of fund, and I wasn't really clear on how it was going to work. And so I've gotten clear, and I've uh, recently launched what I'm calling the Community Fund. You can find the Community Fund on my website. If you go to the Work Together page, there's a link to the Community Fund, and you can read about, you know, kind of why I'm doing it um, and what I you know, what I, the impact that I hope that it has. But basically, the community fund is a way that we can increase access for everybody. Because spiritual work or work that helps us renegotiate trauma in the body has mostly only been accessible to the wealthiest and the most privileged. And this is oftentimes white people, right? And so there is then more unresolved trauma in other marginalized groups. And, and, if, and if any of you have had any trauma, big trauma, micro trauma in your life, you know that it's really hard to move past it until you have some, some help, you know, a little bit of guidance. And so, you know, by, by making this type of work unaccessible to those who may have the most amount of trauma, we're effectively creating more trauma. We're creating more separation. We're creating more divisiveness. Um, and I don't want to do that. 
I don't want to do that. And so this is tricky, right? Because on one hand, I'm balancing the fact that like, this is a business, like, I I have to buy diapers and food and medicine and you know, all the things that we all need to live, right? We all have needs. Needs cost money. So I'm balancing that with the fact that I don't want to um, make this work unaccessible. So even at the, the lowest prices that I can offer, I recognize that that still might be inaccessible to some people. And I do not think that's because of your mindset or that, you know, if you just did X, Y, and Z, you'd make more money if you were in alignment with your soul. That's all complete bullshit, right? Because these systems of oppression are real, right? So we need to get real, you know, really wake up to the fact that there are systems on the ground that we can't simply change by meditating a little bit more each day. Okay, meditating is great. And we also need to, you know, be in our lower chakras, recognize our humanity and work to connect with people who have stories that are different from our own. So the community fund works this way. First of all, when you go to the page um, about the community fund, I, I talk about my transparent pricing. I've really looked at the numbers of my business to say, okay, here is kind of my base, the base set, you know, price that I can do per hour where when I pay for taxes and overhead, you know, then I have a little bit left over to make sure the business keeps running, right? Because like if the business doesn't keep running, this isn't going to help anyone. <laughs> um, and then, um, and I kind of use that as my base. Then the community fund provides an opportunity for those who those prices don't work for can join this fund. When you join the community fund, at this point you get put on a separate email list. All right. And this just allows you like greater, greater access Okay, then for those of you who my prices do work for, when you book a session, you have the ability to share, to share, and you can share 10 bucks, you can share 20 bucks, you can share 50 bucks. And right now, those are the share options um, when you go to book a session. And that's honestly because of accounting. Like I, I tried to have all of the different layers of, of share, you know, I had, I think I had like 10 choices and um to, I've got to also keep it simple on the accounting side, right? So that I can can manage this for everybody. So when you go to book a session, particularly if you've been working me with, with sorry, if you've been working with me for a while, I've lowered my prices. If it's still easy for you to pay what you were paying, I invite you to click the share button and pay what you were paying. The money from that from those shares goes into a fund. At the end of each month, I add up the amount of money in that fund and I match it with that base price of my time that I just talked about. And I'm still in the experimental phases right now where I may then offer like one free session or two free sessions based on that amount, or I may choose to offer more uh, reduced fee sessions, you know, based on the fund. I hope that makes sense. Like trying to figure out like, okay, how do I offer this? And and it's going to be a little bit of an experiment. So if you are in need of greater access, 
you can go to my website, find the community fund, and you can click, you can put your email in a box that allows you to sign up um, just for the fund, to be notified at the beginning of each month um, how many slots are available and what they might cost if they have a fee associated with them. And this is first come, first serve. You do not have to prove to me that you need money. You do not have to you know, relive any of the trauma of your financial situation or otherwise prove to me, like, no. Like, nobody wants to do that, right? Like, how embarrassing is that? You know, we don't want to have to do that. No, this is about supporting our community. So those of you who share, you're not going to get, like, a gold star of credit. I'm not going to get a gold star of credit, right? We are just supporting our community. We're just creating more access. This is about tapping into our basic humanity, starting to dismantle the trappings of capitalism that tells us that we all have to compete with each other, which is total bullshit, by the way. If you really look at the way that communities in nature engage with each other and how they evolve, they do it through communication and community. They do it through supporting one another. You know, back in the day, Darwin had this had this one tiny um, little little information in his book about competition, about how in sometimes different ecosystems and different organisms compete a little bit with each other. But that quote, you know, survival of the fittest type of thing, actually got taken out of context by a different researcher, and then it spread like wildfire, and it's really misinformation. The bulk of what Darwin said was that organisms thrive because they work together, because they support their communities. You know, and I would say if you look around at the way that humans are operating right now, we're not going to survive, you know, we're not going to thrive here, we're not going to evolve, we're not evolving in a great way. So this is another way that we, you know, connect to those first chakra things. How do we take care of our communities? How do we create greater access? How do we level the playing field for those who don't have what we have had the privilege of having? All right, and this is just one tiny drop in a bucket, and it's largely an experiment, you know. Um, and I've made that really clear. When you sign up for the community fund, you get an email that basically says, "Here's how it works," and this is still an experiment. So bear with me while we try this together. And if you have feedback, I am open to it. All right, so that's how the community fund works. Um, if you don't want to book an appointment with me, but you just want to give to the community because you've done the work before or you think it's cool or whatever, there's just a PayPal button on there where you can just donate and you don't have to get anything for yourself. So totally up to you. But I'm pretty excited about it and I hope that it works um, and it will keep being adapted as needed. I'm going to start wrapping this up here. I want to say, th say thank you to my newest Patreon supporter, Sarah. Thank you so much for your donations. Really exciting to see those come in. I created the Patreon fund um, back when I was still approaching burnout uh, for the podcast and, you know, kind of hoping that it would support my time in creating this because it's a lot, there's a lot of work that goes into the creation and a lot of background costs as well. Um, I'm going to keep doing the podcast for now. 
Um, but I have to get real about the amount of hours that it takes, the amount of capacity that I have, and how much money I need to be generating in order to keep this business open. So if you have been kind of on the fence about donating, um, there's a lot of ways that you can help keep this podcast going, which is, one, you can go to iTunes and review it. That helps a ton. Thank you. It helps get this podcast out to more listeners. You can review this podcast on any anywhere that you listen to it, and that helps a lot, and I'm really grateful for that. You can also head over to patreon.com. Uh, forward slash sensitivity uncensored and donate as little as $2 a month to get all my extras. This week, your extra will be a special oracle section. Um, I have a couple of fun new, um, new extras that are on there from the last couple of weeks, so I hope you'll check that out. Let's get into our oracle for this week, yeah? Because it's just me. I may not have uh, introduced that in the beginning, saying that we're doing an oracle, but we're doing an oracle. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you just a second to tap into a question, a concern that you might be having, something that you would like guidance on. So go ahead and hold that in your mind. And I'm going to let you have a couple of seconds to focus on it right now. Healing does not happen in isolation. The power of healing is up to you, yes. You are the authority. You are the agent of your own change, of your own healing. But healing doesn't happen in isolation. We need the bird's eye view. We need the alternative perspective from somebody that we trust. And as much as we would like to not admit it, we need the support and validation and witnessing of others around us. Healing does not happen alone. Find your community, whether that's people who support you, people who teach you, people you love. That's where healing will start. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.